Is it possible to disagree and still be friends? The answer is yes, and we are here to prove it. Join our group of badass sirens as we step out of our comfort zone and onto our soapboxes to sound off on our latest adventure. We might not always agree, but we will always love each other. Welcome to Siren Soapbox. Hello, friends, and welcome to Siren Soapbox. I want you to imagine a scene. You're out in the ocean. It's a beautiful day. The sun is out and the seagulls are singing. As you are floating, you get the sensation that you are not alone. And just then you see a flash of what looks like a fin cresting out of the water. And it was headed directly at you. In that moment, how did you feel? Did you even maybe hear the da The media loves a good, scary shark story and they like to incite fear in the public. Sharks have long been feared as mindless man-eating machines. As divers, the sirens know that when you are in the water, you are entering the shark's realm, and it is hard not to be in awe of these magnificent creatures. Even more important is that without sharks, we are all in serious trouble. Since it is Shark Week on Discovery Channel this week, we're going to soapbox about it. According to Wikipedia, Shark Week debuted in 1988. It started for conservation efforts and correcting misconceptions about sharks and it is the longest running cable television program event in history. We also have a new guest siren tonight. She originally was on episode four as the woman-owned eco-friendly small business guest speaker representing her company, Reefbox. She's trying out her yellow tail for the first time tonight. So we're gonna welcome Megan. Please tell us where you are from and what you do. Um, I am from Fort Myers Beach, Florida. Um, like you in your introduction there, I do own Reefbox, which is a subscription box company for scuba divers, where we send out um, a little bit of gear and gadgets for above the water and below the water every month. Our main goal here is to keep people excited about diving and bring people back to the sport and keep um, people more aware of what's going on in, in our waterways, in our, in our oceans, and in, all the way up into our rivers as well. Thank you so much. Welcome. So we have our soapbox today that is going to be, tell us about how you fell for the negative stigma surrounding sharks and how has that evolved since becoming a diver? If at any time the conversation gets too intense, our safe word is? Mango. 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 First up on her soapbox is TC. Thank you. I've always loved the water and I've always wanted to dive. Growing up, my family didn't have the kind of money that allowed that to happen. My mom used to go to the local dive shop and buy things for my Easter basket. That's as close as I got until I became an adult. But long before I could afford to dive, I snorkeled and I sailed. I remember that before I was a diver, I was very uneasy around large things swimming underneath me. In fact, I remember once on jet skis in Florida, I was freaked out about dolphins swimming around me in a circle while I was on a jet ski. They're really big. They swim really well. They can outmaneuver me and water it in. I don't know what they want. It freaked me out. Uh, Snorkeling in the BVI, there was a school of tarpon swimming under me as I snorkeled. I went back to the boat. I remember sailing on a Hobie cat in the Atlantic coast off North Carolina. The entire time I was sailing, I watched, I watched for shark fins. I was hesitant to get in the water. 
let me be clear, I didn't get in the water at all. I was worried. Fast forward to a trip to Mexico in July of 2015. My friend Nikki made up her mind that I was taking a scuba excursion during an all-inclusive vacation. This was my second dive without my beloved instructor, Steve. While diving a reef off Quintano Roo, Mexico, just south of Cancun, I saw my first shark. It was graceful, it was beautiful, I was mesmerized in awe. I completely forgot to be afraid. I wish everyone could experience a shark as a diver. It is such a different experience than any other shark encounter one might have. I think that seeing them swim in their own habitat changes perception. I know it did for me, and I'm very grateful for that. Next on her soapbox is Sarah. So in the spirit of full disclosure, I am pretty hard on the shark community. I hesitate to stay, say that I'm afraid of sharks, but that's only because I know Bill's going to hear this, and he always tries to convince me that I'm not scared of anything, you know, because I'm such a badass. I mean, he's not wrong, but damn, I'm pretty scared of sharks. I mean, a spider is not my favorite. I can be pretty grossed out by them. They could even bite me, and their bites can be pretty dangerous, depending on the kind of spider. <clears throat> I'm pretty convinced, though, that a shark bite would be worse. I'm not saying that sharks are more dangerous than spiders. In fact, I googled it, and spiders killed seven people a year between 2001 and 2013. Sharks killed about one person a year in that same time period. So, old info probably, but clearly spiders are more lethal numbers-wise than sharks. But the way I see it, a shark bite would be pretty terrifying, especially if you survive it. I'm talking some pretty wicked PS PTSD. How did I come to have this perception of sharks? Well, by looking at their size and face. They just look angry, like they'd bite you just because you looked at them. If they hit those teeth, that might help. And if their mouth didn't open so big with all those teeth. And sharks are generally my size or bigger, so one nipple could take off a good chunk of flesh. And you generally need a weapon of some sort to defend yourself if a shark comes around licking its teeth. Even the biggest spider could probably be hurt by a well-aimed shoe. I know, I know, a brown recluse spider can bite, a, sp a spider bite can cause tissue necrosis, but you can at least have some good anesthesia while they cut the dead tissue off. I suppose I could blame the movie Jaws. I was probably younger than 10 when I first saw it, and I remember being pretty terrified during the movie. I really think, though, that it's just because they look scary. Has my perception of sharks changed since becoming a diver? Honestly, no. As I described on a recent Siren Soapbox episode, I was diving my, with my brother several years ago and was pretty sure I saw a shark swimming nearby. Even though it was not actively swimming in my direction, I was convinced it was swimming for my toes. I could feel it breathing on my fins. With that, on to Megan. Thank you. I am a child of the 70s and 80s and any negative stigma, I, just like all my peers, comes from the movie Jaws. When really Jaws is the worst thing to ever happen to sharks. That in the media with all the misinformation, sharks can smell a drop of blood from a mile away. The TV, shark attack, and not, not to take away from the horror of it all, really a shark bite is them kind of tasting us and saying, nope, not what I like. It is devastating, but calling it an attack is to garner up fear in the public. I've really not been afraid, but more fascinated by sharks. My first encounter with shark really did shape my beliefs of them. It was on my very first boat dive ever. We were in the Gulf. And up till then, I'd only been diving in quarries. I am from the Midwest originally. No. And there was an end, sorry. And up till then, there was a six foot nurse shark at the bottom of the anchor line. 
Before anyone could ask if I was okay, I back rolled in and headed down to see the shark. It promptly swam away. This happened for years, which shows that they are not really interested in us. And most of the time, it is luck that you encounter one. I am a diver and I love sharks. I've been cage diving in South Africa with great whites, bull sharks on wrecks in the reefs and the keys, and most recently had two Caribbean reefs circle me for a few minutes, just 10 feet ish away. Sharks are magical, powerful, and graceful creatures of the sea. They serve a purpose too. Our underwater ecosystem is a balance and without them, it goes out of balance and our aquatic life, including the fish we eat, goes away. They are the honeybees of the ocean. Without the bees, we have no food. We need to protect these beautiful creatures and save these and save them. And with that, on to, I don't remember. Me, Elsie. <laughs> Elsie. Thanks, Megan. And just like you, ever since I was a little girl, I caught glimpses of Jaws on TV. And I don't remember seeing anything graphic, but it was enough to scare me so bad that I was afraid to go into the deep end, even in the neighborhood pool. However, I've always felt a pool towards the ocean. And when an aquarium opened up locally, I got a job there. Being in such close proximity to sharks, it gave me an opportunity to observe them and really get to understand their behaviors. For years, I had been doing dive shows on the dry side, helping divers educate the public about sharks. Then it got to the point where I wanted nothing more than to be the one in the water, star of the show, third only to the sharks and the mischievous turtle. I got to dive with sandbars, sand tigers, white tip reef sharks, black tip reef sharks, nurse sharks, and hammers. I even got to create a trip and lead a group of volunteers on a conservation trip to Florida where we paired up with the University of Florida shark research to do shark tagging. I know I was kind of frustrating to the other sirens when we were coming up with a challenge for this episode because I didn't want to uh, pay $65 for a class that I could probably teach. So I called Mango on that one. It was my career for 16 years after all and I did get a degree in maritime studies. During Shark Week, I often see people that I have worked with or networked with, like on the last night's episode of Jackass, they had Dr. Craig O'Connell on and I was a standby diver for him. My most recent shark adventure was with Florida shark diving. And we only saw, there was one hammer in the water. And as soon as we jumped in, we just missed her. So we didn't get to see her. They typically free dive with bull sharks and I was not too excited about that. I was more, cautious with whites, or I would be more cautious with whites than I ever would be around bulls and their high testosterone. Um, with that being said, that was my soapbox. And I have a statistic for you guys from someone who has dove with sharks hundreds of times, if not thousands of times, and who's been struck by lightning. You are more, more likely to get struck by lightning than to ever get bitten by a shark. And with that, we are on to Jess. Well, that was always my favorite statistic to tell people too, but now I feel like Elsie gets, you know, dibs on that statistic. So uh, I really love sharks. I have always loved sharks. Really the only thing in the ocean that I don't like is jellyfish. They totally freak me out. I remember seeing Jaws when I was really young and thinking it was scary, but not because of Jaws himself. I didn't like the suspenseful music. I am a very, have always been a very anxiety ridden person and I can't handle suspenseful music. Um, I turned, if I turned while diving and saw a shark behind me, yeah, I'd probably jump. But again, that's because I'm a very high strung person and it would surprise me. I would think it was really cool. I hate the negative stigma that sharks have. And I always throw out annoying facts about shark bites whenever I hear people talk about shark attacks. 
They're not attacks. My love for sharks has just grown since becoming a diver and getting to see them closer than with glass in between us. They're beautiful and graceful and necessary for the survival of the ocean. I still have diving with great whites on my bucket list, would probably want a cage there. <laughs> and I think that diving with them in a couple different aquariums has been the greatest way to experience them and get respect and to have respect for them. I often have mixed feelings about Shark Week because they still do a, a lot of sensationalism, but I think they do more good than harm. Anything that helps educate about sharks is a good thing in my book. But really, I could talk about sharks all day. And so I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Mer before I go over my time and get cut off. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. I remember being a little afraid of sharks after I saw the movie Jaws when I was a kid. But it was the same kind of afraid as though the big bad shark were a boogeyman, you know, meaning I didn't really know if man eating sharks were a real thing, but I was going to be afraid of them just in case, you know, um, I lived in Ohio, so I didn't really have to worry about them that much. But when I visited the ocean as an adult, but before I was an, a diver, I, I was very cautious of sharks and I did worry that I might be bitten if I swam in their waters. I would, though, venture out into water that was, you know, at least waist deep and play around, always keeping an eye out for anything that might bite or sting. And I think that's where the real fear is. It's not the sharks necessarily. It's that I've always felt uncomfortable standing or swimming in water that I can't see through. But the reason is because I'm, I know that I'm going to be bitten by something or stung by something. I picture the Atlantic Ocean when I think about this, um, like Atlantic Ocean beaches, but it could also be a lake or a river, which I spend a lot of time in as well. But this fear of water that I can't see through has not changed at all since becoming a diver. Um, again, that fear really has nothing to do with sharks. It's the unknown of what's lurking in that water. But what has changed are my feelings about man-eating sharks, because you see, now I understand that sharks don't want to eat people. I know now that when a shark takes a bite of us, it's just because he got confused for a second or she was provoked. Um, I've been fortunate enough to swim with black tip reef sharks in the Caribbean Sea, and they are beautiful, majestic creatures who have zero interest in snacking on me. And I've learned a lot about sharks since becoming a scuba, scuba diver, and I'm looking forward to learning more about them over the next month or so. But we'll talk more about that later on the episode. That's my soapbox. Now I'm going to go ahead and introduce one of our guests for tonight. Our first guest this evening is Liz Ward-Singh. Liz is the co-director of Shark Guardian, whose mission it is to help save our sharks and our oceans. I'll let Liz talk about Shark Guardian in just a few minutes, but Liz is from the UK, currently residing in Thailand and is a qualified physiotherapist and a scuba diver instructor with over 2000 dives. Liz has a great passion for sharks and for conservation, and she enjoys getting involved with Shark Guardian events and presentations. She has also been on our show as a guest siren rocking the leaf green tail, but today she is here as our shark, as one of our shark experts. Liz, welcome back to Siren Soapbox. 
Oh, thank you for the beautiful introduction. Hi, everybody. It's so lovely to hear the whole variety of the interpretation of sharks. Um, so a brief bit about Shark Guardian. We created Shark Guardian in 2013. Sharks are really my husband's baby. He's the marine biologist from South Africa, research sharks. And when he became a scuba diver instructor and moved to Thailand, um, he wanted to share his education and passion with as many people as possible. And that kind of spiraled, got bigger and bigger when we connected and I became the kind of um, organizer to lift and elevate and kind of push Shark Guardian into what it is today. Um, so we are based in Thailand and that was our initial place to base ourselves because of the high consumption of shark fin soup in Asia. We thought we'd be in a good place to be able to visit lots of schools, which is the main thing that we do. Education's a big part of what we do along with uh, research, conservation and um, expeditions. Um, so we do a lot of cool things. And I just wanted to, to share one thing. Um, we, we've now taken a lot of people diving with sharks. And I always just remember one time a, a lady, we did a, um, uh, a dive with black tips. It was a baited shark dive in South Africa. We wanted to see tiger sharks. It was mainly black tip and duskies that we saw. Um, and when we got up from the dive, this lady said, I was so scared of sharks before, but I just realized they just were not bothered about us. They're just there for the fish. They didn't, you know, she says, there's so many sharks spinning around. Everywhere you look, you could see these, you know, two or three meter, two, two, two meter, probably the biggest sh long sharks. They had no interest as in us at all. And I felt so, so comfortable. So when you hear reactions like that, it does just reinforce they're not here for us. Um, the stat is 97% of all shark species um, are actually harmless. They don't have the teeth to give, to make any kind of damage on us, even if they wanted to. So that's a good one to kind of keep in your mind. Yeah, um, that'll, it'll most likely show up on our follow-up trivia episode. <laughs> so great for that. <laughs> Megan, do you want to introduce us to our second guest tonight? Well, thank you for allowing me to introduce Emmy Award winner, Stephanie Brown. This <laughs> <laughs> some time at the George Aquarium with a short stop over at Susan, Susan G. Komen, ended up landing at uh, Osearch as Director of Development. Um, OSEARCH, founded by Chris Fisher, is a data-centric organization built to help scientists collect previously unattainable data. With 39 expeditions, 416 animals tagged, and 198 scientists working with them on it. Um, if you were to see in the news or something of that sort, a shark being tracked, it is most likely from OSEARCH. Um, she hides out now currently in Utah, which is where the headquarters of OSEARCH is with her pup, 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 on, on. Great name, I must say. Please welcome adventurer, skier, scuba diver, Stephanie Brown. Welcome, Stephanie. Uh, hello. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. You're making me blush. Can you <laughs> tell us a little bit about O-Search and what you guys do? Yeah, so O-Search was founded back in 2012 to address the two largest problems facing our oceans, data deficit and time. Um, we need to work really fast, right, to restore balance to our oceans so that they are abundant for future generations. And with 95% of the ocean unexplored, this is a big undertaking, right? Um, so OSEARCH was founded 
Chris Fisher had a wonderful TV show for quite a while, um, Fishing Around the World, and was at a Bill Fish Foundation um, board meeting coming off of a trip where he had just tagged a bunch of billfish. And the scientists said, oh, we can't tag these fish, right? We've had no luck. We have all these tags to distribute and we just are not having luck. And he said, wait a minute, we just caught and release all of, this, all of the billfish that you need to tag within the last week, right? So from billfish, it grew to sharks. We now tag great white sharks within um, the Atlantic. Right now we're currently working or getting ready for an expedition off of New England. Um, but on, not only do we tag the sharks, we bring on board scientists to support up to, I believe as of today, we're at 23 research initiatives. We just added a really exciting one with Harvard. Um, so they will sample everything from microbes in the teeth so that we know what bacteria is in their mouths. What can we use for our own purposes, but also if there is a shark bite, what kind of antibiotics do they need on hand within the hospital? All the way down to ultrasounds of their heart. Um, a great white's heartbeat is about 10 beats per minute, we discovered um, through some of that work. And then we do everything from stomach or samples, you know, fecal samples, semen samples. Um, we have a group that is researching microplastics within their blood. So it is a really comprehensive overall view of this apex predator that we are able to then put together to solve the life cycle puzzle of these sharks, but also help restore our oceans to abundance. Um, and the big thing is that we do all of this, um, help fundraise, do all of that so that the scientists can come out for free so that that typical cost associated with field research is not a hindrance to stop them from coming out and studying these apex predators. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think also there was, um, I did have the pleasure of going out on an expedition with you guys a few years ago, in which I believe we, we had a nice long conversation about some of, of what you, what OSEARCH was working to protect the um, estuary in which you know, the area in which um, they believe that the, 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 the pups are born, but also some of the areas in which the reproduction is having that, you know, um, by protecting those two particular areas, um, we can help restore and, and protect the, the white shark too, as well. Yes. Really cool organization. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So my so, first question is, um, how do you get a fecal sample from a shark? <laughs> you said that i'm like what in the world <laughs> a very brave scientist um they use catheters to do some of it so wow. we actually we have a specially designed lift off of the side of our boat it's designed to hold up to seventy-five thousand pounds so a shark and a bunch of people can be out there, right? And it'll actually raise the shark up out of the water, allowing us to do all of the work. Um, it takes less than 15 minutes. We do have a veterinarian on the ship that monitors the lactic acid. So if there's ever a spike, which signifies that the animal is stressed, we will stop all work. Um, and it's a wonderful group. They kind of operate like a NASCAR. <laughs> that shark comes in, they work it up. We advance 23 research projects and off it swims. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah. It, for our listeners, if you have an opportunity to see a, some pictures of this lift, it is very impressive. And those sharks look 
almost even bigger standing that or you know, when the people are standing next to it on that dock yeah so liz i think it's interesting that you chose thailand specifically because of um, the high shark fin soup production in asia and you mentioned getting into schools. How important do you think it is that you reach those littles before they're old enough to order their own bowl of shark fins? <laughs> yeah, I mean, massively important. I mean, Thailand, it was more just that that's where Brendan was based for a long time. And I happened to meet him here. It was just an easy location to be. Um, although actually over the past years, Thailand has risen with regards to how much consumption of shark fin soup there is here because there's a lot of Thai Chinese. You know, historically we talk about Chinese cultures eating the soup, but it, it is a global issue. It's in every country within the world. Um, yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of presentations where kids are actually talking about their challenges. You know, kids who already like sharks, even before we've done the presentations, or we've changed their perceptions by talking about it. You know, when they learn what happens to sharks when the, the fins are sliced off, these kids are genuinely shocked. You know, they're still pure and innocent. So when they hear that, you know, we have these kids going, why are they doing that? Why do they do that? Um, and then kids saying, you know, I'm battling my grandma, I'm battling my auntie who wants me to eat shark fin soup when we have weddings and birthdays. Um, but they keep, they keep fighting because they've, we instill the passion in them to want to protect this species. And they understand because we talk about how important they are and that we need them in the ocean. So they're taking it upon themselves to, to keep driving, uh, you know, and battling the family. And it's, it's this, um, unwritten they call it a culture of eating the shark fin soup but when you look at the history it, it isn't an actual culture it's just the rich people you you know started to eat shark fin soup many many years ago and then it just became a thing that the elite and the rich people could afford you know it just became this trend um so yeah it's super important because they are going to change the way for the next generation they talk to their friends they talk to their families and you know if we convert one or two kids in every few hundred of kids that we present to you're changing the next generation whereas the movie jaws just generation after generation years down the line is still creating this positive uh, negative image of the shark so it's things like this we have to undo The author of Jaws, I recently realized because I've been as part of Shark Week, one of my goals is to learn something new every day about sharks. And the author of Jaws regretted the damage that he'd done. And he actually has another book that's out trying to undo some of that damage. But of course, when you have that kind of hype, I don't know how you undo that or but I do know he has another book out after. after yeah, he, he did a lot. He's done a lot of work in the conservation field to, to raise the positive image of sharks. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Do you actually regret making a movie that's that's generated that much money? Uh, but if you can then channel that money back into a positive direction in a positive way, then then brilliant. It's pretty much all he can do at this point, because. The Jaws movie, that's done. He can't undo that. But no, absolutely, absolutely not. And there's there's still so much there's still so much education needed. You know, this as divers, you will speak to other divers if you go on trips that have no idea 
how sharks are being killed, the number, the impact, um, even how important they are. We have this when we do presentations in England or Europe where people live very far from the ocean and feel very detached from the ocean and they believe it's not part of their problem. Um, but, you know, it's like, well, without the oceans, you're not going to survive. We get more than 70% of the oxygen we need to survive from the oceans. We need oceans, so we need sharks as the apex predator. If When you put it simplistic like that, they kind of go, oh, light bulb moment. Well, Liz, when you put it that way, we got four sirens that are on here that are landlocked and a lot of our listeners are landlocked. So can you ladies each tell us some things that we can do from home to help out sharks? Maybe Stephanie, you want to go first? Yeah. I um, could tell by that eyebrow raise that she was dying to go first. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I I'd give the chance, you know, I can speak all day as well. <laughs> I don't even think you necessarily, it's for landlocked. When I worked at um, Georgia Aquarium, we're five hours from the coast, right? We had, and I might get the statistic wrong, it's been a long time since I've been there, but within our inner city schools that used to come visit, 80% of those kids had never been to the coast, which was a five-hour drive, and 100% of their parents had never been to the coast. So we're right there making an impact, you know, what you're putting into the water system and the sewer system is going a lot closer than a lot of landlocked states like Utah. Um, and these people just had no idea. It was pretty mind-blowing when we started that education program there with just even with the local work that we needed to do. Um, but my biggest thing would be recycling. I know that it's not easy all the time. Um, I grew up in California where it was pretty much required, right? Moved to Atlanta where it was not required. So I think that's the biggest piece I would start because it's a little piece that we can all do easy at home that can make a huge impact. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's where I'd start. I think second in that, the, the issues we have with trash and plastic in the oceans, you know, the stats are out there, the research is out there. You will know probably every shark um, that you test, I'm, I'm throwing myself out there now, but most big fish, sharks, pelagics have plastic inside them now. There's, there's, yeah. there's no way they cannot because it's such a big problem in the ocean. Um, so people can make a difference by picking up their trash, recycle, reusing, reducing, I think is the big issue. Um, that's a whole episode in itself. Um, and then just spreading the word, isn't it? Just talking nicely about sharks. You know, show someone a cute, I think this might help with Sarah. I'd love for you to come diving in Thailand and um, dive with the leopard shark. We, it's a zebra shark actually, but you know, they look like a leopard shark, look like a leopard um, as an adult and they can lie, they, they can lie and not have to keep moving to breathe. So we've had dives here where we've spent 20 or 30 minutes, you know, laying on the ocean floor, just looking at these beautiful sharks that look like a teddy bear. You know, if you can get that close and you just think this is a shark, your perception, will change Sarah I'm sure <laughs> my, my, it, my perception might change you know I mean might. I don't mean to be unfair I'm just being honest about it that I they make me very anxious just and, and I think it's the size you know if I'm sure if I were um, to have an experience where I were, were diving with um, sharks that perhaps weren't four or five times my size and maybe didn't have all those teeth um, I mean I've done plenty of dives with huge other 
you know, other creatures that are huge, huge eagle rays going by, they just don't look as scary. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't know that it's the movie that has made me feel that way. I truly think it's just the way they look. They look kind of scary. But I am picturing the, the sharks from Jaws when I think that. And I know there are a lot of other kinds of sharks out there that don't look quite as scary. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't go diving. I mean, I am the badass that I am. I'll do anything, right? <laughs> But, um, but I'm just being honest when I think, when I think of sharks, that's what I think of is, is the scariness. So I would love to do something to, you know, show me the kinder, gentler side of the sharks. Sounds like a face your fear episode to me. That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) So we recently had somebody, I live on St. on, on the Island of St. Croix and recently somebody posted a picture of himself on the pier And he claimed he had caught two sharks on the pier and they were, the sharks were on the pier lying there bloody. And one of them looked like a tiger shark. We do occasionally have tiger sharks here. The other one, um, I'm not sure what the other one was. Might've been a black tip reef shark. We have lots of those here. I've never seen a shark at the pier. So I'm not really sure exactly what happened or how this came about, but there he stood with these two sharks and he, the purpose of his post was, hey, be careful if you're letting your families jump off the pier into the water because, look, I just caught these two sharks. That was really sad. But what was really amazing was the hundreds and hundreds of angry comments about how young the sharks were and how the ocean was the shark's home and how the sharks were important. And these were from divers and non-divers. They were from Crusions and non-crusions. They were from old people, young people. There were very few people who said, hey, it's okay to do what you're doing. Most people were outraged. So even though the picture was really tough to look at, it was really nice to read the comments. And then the people started with, what do we do about this? And the guy was reported, I don't know how many times for what he had done because they're, I mean, this is part of the US, they're protected here. And so I know that um, a lot of people ended up reporting them. I, I don't know. It's, it's all, I guess, in perception of how you look at that whole experience. But it was nice to see how many comments were completely outraged. And supportive of those little shark lives that were lost. I love that. Well, I, I wouldn't love, want to go. I love that part of it. I wouldn't want to go swimming next to a pier where people are fishing anyway, just because of the hooks and everything. But also you got to think. You got fish that are splashing around. That is going to attract sharks. The splashing, the smell of fish blood. Maybe. Yeah. I'll tell you, Elsie. I mean, the, the pier is one of the most popular dive spots on this island. And this is a diving island. I've never seen a shark at the pier as a diver. And I don't know another diver who has seen a shark at the pier because there's so much activity. But diving, jumping off of the pier is a thing. It's kind of a, a thing you do here. It's when you, when you finish the thing I do there. Yeah. When you finish (laughs) a year of school, then you jump off the pier. All of you, when you visit, we will go jump off the pier. It's what you do. Jess is ready. I'm ready this weekend. (laughs) I actually like, I wanted to chime in that something I've seen a couple times and I absolutely love it. And I keep meaning to save it when I see it, but is there's no such thing as shark infested waters. That's like saying that there are people infested schools. It's their house. If you don't want 
to be around them or if you're going to do them harm then get the f out <laughs> they what don't a want lot of the it. comments it's what a lot of the comments said on that uh on that post some people were really enraged by that it was you know so this week at work i i've also challenged myself to learn more about sharks tc um i have a couple of glass windows right outside of my cubicle and i one of the cubicles I'm using for some shark art, which we'll post, but the other window I'm using for shark facts. So I'm going to post some shark facts. I'm posting one each day, one new one each day all week. And a couple of the people that I, I work on a floor with a bunch of attorneys, I am not an attorney, but I've worked with a bunch of attorneys. They're 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 and they're not always the most creative people, but they really do it. They're enjoying the shark facts. So that's been kind of fun. That's awesome. My favorite shark fact is how do you tell if there is sharks in the water? Put your finger in the water, put it in your mouth and taste it. If it tastes like salt, there are sharks in the water. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's also pretty sad though is how many people like here living in on the beach in Florida, how many people come here specifically to go fish shark? Oh. You know, they put it live right from the beach i mean you see it all day fishermen up and down the beach up on our pier up on our bridges and they're looking to pull in shark because it's cool i ate shark like a shark steak one time years ago and i love seafood um not so much lately that's a different story but i i bought a shark steak one time and i cooked it up and i don't find anything mm -hmm. appealing about this thing it's oily it yes, taste it's well. oily and, and dry oily. somehow at the same full time. of mercury. It's yeah, bad well, for you. Yeah, that's, isn't that insane? Why do people eat it? They don't. And like even here, a lot of people don't understand that you can't bring every shark to shore. You cannot bring a hammerhead out of the water. 10 seconds out of the water to take that hook out, put it back in. It has now gotten such um, stress but even though it swims away, it will end up dying. You cannot pull a hammerhead out. And you have, I hate to say it, idiots from the Midwest that come down here who just want to fish shark because it's cool, throwing their lines in there and catching shark. And they catch, they bring ashore all kinds of shark. We have hammerheads over here because we have the snooks and the tarpon over here. We've got lemons, tigers, and a lot of bulls. We have a bull nursery behind us in our mangroves back here. So we have a lot of cool sharks that they like to catch here and they pull them ashore. Some of them I've seen walk out of here in coolers, thrown in the back of pickup trucks and others they let go. Some, some do know to let them go, but you just, you know, it's always sad to see when I at least see a hammerhead when they pull them ashore. Cause I know that shark is dead. It's dead. It can't handle being out of the water at all. You just shocked its system, but it's only cause it's cool. But we need these sharks. We need them to control population. It is a balance out there. We need the apex predator or else we have snook overtaking tarpon and we've got everything out of balance. See, that's what I'd like to learn more about. I keep hearing the term apex predator and I'm honestly not real sure what that, what like, what's the definition of an apex predator? That's uh, it. If you think of a, a food pyramid, mm -hmm. apex what's doing is what? the top. Gotcha. And every, every animal in the ocean, I mean, has its role from the gardeners mm -hmm. on the, the reefs to the apex predators 
or cleaning up the mess. You, they all have a role that they play here in, in on our reefs down here. I you take any you take anything out it's a very mm-hmm. it's a very um intricate balance between everything you take anything out then there's a knock-on effect elsewhere so if you take away the top then it's it's the whole cascade effect and, and that's in a simplistic form and that goes back to osearch and osearch mission about the piece that is abundance Without the balance, we don't have abundance. And if you see that in one of them talk every now and then, they talk about the wolves in Yellowstone Mm -hmm. and what that did when we pulled the wolves out of Yellowstone and we disrupted the balance, we had certain species overtaking and others that went away. As soon as you brought back that apex predator, everything was back in balance and we had more abundance of smaller animals to feed the bigger animals, that feed the bigger animals, that keep the grasses mowed, that move, that pollinate. I mean, it, it's an all out balance. And there's a movie on it that you can see on YouTube about the, that specific idea. But that is exactly what the shark's role is here in the water too as well. We have to have them. I was um, gonna say that about this video, Mur, you must watch the video. Um, it, it's beautiful. It, it just it just describes balance and ecosystem and, and, and how everything is linked in a really, really nice way. So once you understand that, you will understand ocean ecosystems better as well, even though it's land-based. But the it's thing the same. With, yeah, the, the thing same. with apex predators too is that they aren't going to waste their energy going after animals that are perfectly healthy. They go after sick, injured, dying mm-hmm. animals. So you're ultimately doing the oceans a favor and disease isn't going to spread. And it's just, if you remove the apex predator, like they said, you've got an explosion of different populations of like, look at our deer in Ohio. Mm-hmm. We don't have a natural apex predator other than cars. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have a quick question for Stephanie though. And I, I just want to kind of clear, maybe you can help me clear something up. Um, so you guys do the satellite and the acoustic tags on, on the sharks. Mm-hmm. And then that, that information is, is available on the website. So you can go see where the shark is and where the shark's been. How do you guys protect from someone using that information like a sport fisherman to go find that animal? Because you just now open the door going, here, let me find on my GPS where that shark's located. How do you guys handle that? And what do you, you know, speaking of fishermen and their want to have something cool on their wall? So a few ways. Um, Our spot tag, which is the one that shows up on our tracker, is reported in near real time. Um, So it is not instantaneous. That shark does not ping and it gets pulled up. We actually have a review committee that goes through. And then when the ping is determined to be viable or good, it will go up on the website. That was actually one of the neatest things when I first joined OSearch. I walked into the office and my old colleague, John, was on the computer doing something. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm updating the tracker. <laughs> so here's this huge resource we have. And it was one guy in our office doing it. <laughs> but the pings also range from A to Z. A means total high quality. In order to get a ping from the shark with these spot tags, the dorsal, the fin needs to be out of the water for 90 seconds. Wow. You can imagine with current, like, you know, with waves and everything, and they're not always um, 
able to do that, which is why sometimes you see some sharks ping a whole lot. They like to be up at the surface. Some sharks don't like to be up at the surface and so they won't ping a lot. Um, but they're rated A through Z. And then from that, there is a range within what is reported um, for where that actual shark is. But by the time that we post it or that it's shared on the tracker, it's still like finding a needle in a haystack. Um, I even asked Captain Brett one day, would we be able to find a shark that we've tagged based on a ping and re-tag it? And he said, that's even a harder needle in a haystack than just tagging one. So um, there is quite a few mechanisms within there to avoid some of that. Well, thank you. I have a so, question. Go Jess. <laughs> Sorry, I should have done this. So two questions actually. First, why are you guys based in Utah if you're working with sharks? So um, when Chris started O-Search, he wanted a place where he could raise his family, very similar to Kentucky, where the kids could run around and be free and have wilderness, right? Catch frogs, do whatever. Park City's really, really safe. Um, also, at the time, they were working around the globe. So all you needed to be was near a hub, right? And Salt Lake City's a hub for Delta. So that was some of that. I will tell you after, well two things. So in college, we had a week where you could opt into living on a research boat for a year. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm not going to be a scientist. I don't have to learn how to live on a research boat for a year. Fast forward to my current life. After being on that boat for a month, coming home to the mountains, there's just something magic. Um, now the plan is uh, our academic home is Jacksonville University. So the city is building a port for us in Mayport. Um, and we will be moving our operations to Jacksonville at some point, so. Well, the second question is, uh, so do you guys just tag great whites or do you have a specific um, species that you're, you're looking for? We have tagged tigers. We've tagged other types of sharks. Our current main focus is great whites. Um, I have been told that if we are out fishing and another shark came on board and we knew that there was an active research project that could benefit from us sampling that shark, we will take it and then share the data with that scientist because that's one of our core values. Love that. Yeah. So random shark question, how deep can great whites dive? Anybody know? Because leatherbacks can go like 4,000 feet and they can slow their heartbeat down to less than one beat per minute. And I think it's partially to stay away from the great whites or the, maybe the bull sharks. So I was curious how deep they could dive. I do not know that answer off the top of my head. We'll have to look that one up and post it later. I'm curious. Yeah, Liz? I don't know for great whites, but whale sharks, I believe, are the, are the sharks that have been recorded to be the deepest diving shark. I think it's oh. um, 1,300 meters, something like that. Again, I can't remember the stat. It's pretty deep when you think whale sharks generally, when you see them, they hang around near the surface. So they wonder if they go deep sometimes for mating, you know, like other sharks, we've never seen them give birth. And, well, great whites, we haven't seen give birth yet, have we? Um, yeah. Be interested to know that about great white sharks as well. How deep do they go? Well, I just looked it up, and it's anywhere between 250 to 500 meters. So, uh, 350 meters to 500 meters, which would be 1,500 feet. 
um, according to the fancy Google. According oh. to the Googs. She consulted the Googles. <laughs> Can I ask Stephanie? I'd like to ask Stephanie a question. Sure. What, what is your favorite shark species? Oh, let's see. My first shark dive was with hammerheads. Um, and that was, I was one of the guinea pigs, actually. I showed up to work one day and my boss said, tomorrow, bring a bathing suit. You're getting in the shark tank. <laughs> um, but I would have to say probably from my own personal experience, whale sharks. I used to lead an eco tour down to Mexico and we would swim with the aggregation there. And I'm going to tell you, that's the only time I got a little nervous being in a tank with a hammerhead, but there's that moment when you first see these whale sharks, you know, how you were saying they're just so big, seeing the shark come at you. There's just this overwhelming sense of a little bit of fear. And then you just realize how small we are and how really insignificant we are on the planet, but we make such an impact. And it's just this wonderful, overwhelming experience that I think I led about eight eco tours down there. And every time I swam with those sharks, it's the same response. Um, so they, I think that they're probably my personal favorite just because I hold them so near and dear. How about your favorite shark? Mine. Um, probably the leopard shark that I mentioned, the zebra shark, I think because of I've seen them so much here in Thailand. When I first came here in 2007, they used to be quite prevalent, popular, common. <laughs> um, but literally within a couple of years, we, we would hardly see any on any dives because they were being fished so much. So it just became a really special thing that if you saw one and, and had that, as I say, a close encounter where you could really spend a lot of time with them, they, they really are so beautiful. But I want to see, um, I've still not seen basking sharks. And I think there's just something really curious and weird about them. So maybe Very it will change <laughs> when the mouth is closed. <laughs> Asking a cookie cutter. I think I've seen a cookie cutter shark might be cool. <laughs> I'm excited to learn more about sharks. I don't know. We, we have lots of black tip, reef, black tip reef sharks here and they are very graceful and beautiful. So if I had to name a favorite, I would probably name them. We occasionally have hammerheads, but I haven't seen one. And we, we have other sharks, lemon sharks, bull sharks, tiger sharks, but. How many different sharks species are there? Like over 400, I believe. That's insane. One of my sharks, 500? 500? One of my new um, shark facts that I learned is that the smallest shark is the dwarf lantern shark and it's the size of your hand oh cool yeah that's a tiny now little I, shark i could go for that i mean that's cute <laughs> <laughs> did they recently I discover a new one yeah i think i saw something about that too megan but i don't remember i'm gonna look it up and it was tiny it was small i think there was a new epaulette was it an epaulette oh it might have been one of the dwarf sharks i know there was a new epaulette species um classified in the last year or so um Maybe another dwarf shark. I can't remember. We call it kite, kite fin shark. But it's big. March 5th, 2000. Oh, it's a big one. Yeah. Oh, that was my birthday. Nearly six oh. foot long glowing shark discovered in deep sea. Glowing? Ooh. Glowing, like bioluminescent? Yeah. The dwarf lanterns, but glow. 
Like your earring. They're looking so cool. <laughs> Who knew that's what I had in my ears? Okay, I don't know how deep I said leatherbacks could dive, but since we're not going to edit this, I just want to make sure that I said 4,000 feet. That's what you said. Deep. Okay. A little, a little deeper than that. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> I did see a, a baby black tip reef shark not too long ago on a dive. And I saw it for a second. It was kind of one of those, he swam near us, he saw us and then choo, he was gone. He was like, whoa, I don't know what those are, but I don't want to be any near them, anywhere near them. And away he swam. And he didn't really want cute. you to eat him. He was really cute, really cute. Aww. I don't even know what kind of shark it was that was chasing my fins. I mean, in my mind, he was chasing my fins when I turned around. I mean, I, I couldn't see him anymore, but that's just because he was so fast. He moved when I turned around, <laughs> right. so he, he didn't get my fins, but I couldn't even tell. But he was so far away from me, I couldn't even tell what kind of shark he was. But boy, he was right on my fins the whole time. I recently saw white tip sharks in Costa Rica, and um, I expected them to look like black tip sharks only with white tips, but they don't. They look a lot different like 18 times tonight on this episode I've wanted to say something like you look different <laughs> what's wrong with me oh, wow. you're just a child Stephanie and Liz do you guys have a favorite story from your organizations I'd have to think um about diving with sharks or just just your favorite shark experience or um connection you made with someone with sharks or collecting shark feces (laughs) (laughs) so bizarre I feel like the sharks don't like to see that O-Search boat coming (laughs) they're like oh dang it's like when you take the dog to the bed it's like an alien probing like you always read about the alien probes that's how the sharks feel about about the alien abductors are really just o-search researchers from another galaxy except that they're saving them so there's that right the aliens might be saving us too i was more concerned about the poor guys taking care of those getting the bacteria off those teeth I'd rather be at the other end than in the end, the tooth end. Well, <laughs> go watch the video because Captain Brett jumps in the water with them and wow. pulls them onto the platform by hand. That's impressive. Pretty yeah. wow. That's impressive right, strength-wise. We stalled for you to think about favorite stories. Did it work? <laughs> How about the biggest to- shark? Well, I have to admit, so I joined O-Search, right? We had one expedition that Megan joined us on um that day our lift was not working so we tagged that shark off the side of the boat and then we had a global pandemic so I still have not seen our work actually in person like I've seen all these wonderful videos and everything so my favorite story will be to be determined when I get to be there and actually see this happen (laughs) that's fair (laughs) And then I'll probably come back with some giant shark tattoo and you guys will all know because I'll <laughs> to write a passage. I have to say the shark that they tagged that day and they named Ack. Yeah. Ack. Like you have something in the back of your throat. <laughs> ACK for Nantucket. Ah. Uh, okay. 
But Act does not like the surface, so we hardly hear from her. Aw. But you, about you? Yeah, I have an interesting, um, interesting story because great white shark cage diving is very controversial. People, we get asked about it a lot, about our opinions. There are pros and cons. You know, we all want to see any marine creature in its natural environment. Um, I think there's an advantage of getting to see a great white shark up close. I know when I first saw it, um, I've done cage diving twice in South Africa. Um, and just to see the size, you know, the actual size of them is just mind blowing. And just to say, you know what? They are just very, very big sharks. That was my interpretation because they are just this extra massive chunky shark. So we were doing this um, cage diving and so they lure them in with some, you know, tuna or some kind of bait and they try and just pull it, not feeding them. It's just the taste that pulls them up. So they jump and, you know, you, you, they breach, you see them. Um, and, it, and it generally is done very kind of respectfully. Um, and then they just get bored. They're like, you know, enough of this. You're teasing me, I'm off. And often they don't hang around. We were doing this cage dive one time and the shark obviously missed its timing and actually got stuck on our cage so it kind of obviously went for the tuna head and it just ended up here so we're not you kind of when you do this you kind of have to push yourself under you're not on scuba you're just on your snorkel mask or whatever and it's really bloody cold you're pushing yourself down when they say go to look and this um so this chart got stuck and we're just stunned so it's me my husband um, another friend um, and, and a friend, and we're all very experienced scuba divers. Um, and the shark, you know, its eyes are rolling. It's obviously stress. Its teeth are there. And it, this, you know, it's this uh, not meeting meter, probably sixty or seventy centimeters girth. We're talking, and these, and they are big teeth. You know, if you see it in that close. But your instinct as a diver, you're told not to push, not to touch anything. You know, we were in this dilemma of, holy crap, like, ah, you know, you're just kind of stunned in this moment. Um, but luckily, you know, um, it just kind of did a wiggle and eventually then, then you know, because sharks can't swim backwards either. So it couldn't just reverse. It was just kind of maneuvering and then swam around. And we all just kind of got up and went, what happened there? Like, you know... <laughs> hearts were actually in our mouth but we just felt sorry for the shark we just felt we hope it's okay hope it didn't injure itself I mean it probably lost a teeth or two which is which is fine because they you know conveyor belt just replaces them um but yeah I'm sure that shark didn't come back again but yeah that's that's something that really sticks in our mind and obviously we've got the guy with the GoPro the video that it's just like <laughs> 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 the rest of us stopped filming we were just like what do we do <laughs> so wow. um a kind of you know, con to the whole shark cage diving situation. You have to send us that video. Yeah, I will hunt <laughs> it out. <laughs> that is interesting. For a moment there, I thought maybe I'd been, you know, um, you know, quite wrong in my thoughts, but you've just confirmed them all. <laughs> <laughs> just picture that. Everybody was okay. And yeah. look, she still loves sharks. And yeah, sorry, I he thought, just missed time. He wasn't attacking he anyone. No, he, he was going time. for a tuna head. Let's be clear. He was going for the tuna head. Now come on down yeah. to Florida and we'll take it. We'll do exactly what we did with Renee because we did that same dive she did. 
in between when Renee finished her classes and before she hit her checkout dives. And she really struggled to get back in the water. So we just went and did some nice, gentle stuff with nurse sharks, things of that sort, where they want nothing to do with you. You know, the mouths are more on the bottom, a little less teeth. It's, it's, it's a nice, pleasant dive to be in the water with nurse sharks. Then you work your way up to the other stuff and you have a little less fear. So you hear the stories about how, um, okay, if they smell a drop of blood, they're going to come and get you. What about the whole fear thing? Can they sense that? Does that impact them at all? Do they sense a weakness or is that also an uh, old wives tale? I don't know if it's the fear as much as they sense the, when you hear about them hunting, they sense the stress. They sense a stressed out fish or a hurt fish. That's it. I'm going to be a stressed out fish in there. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, and, and they talk about that with surfers and stuff and how their feet are in the water to kicking and it, it, it creates, you know, a, a, a sense of, of stress, like a stressed out seal some, or, or hurt seal. And that's why they, they will come take a taste. I Googled it and Google says that um, sharks cannot sense fear. They can, they have a great, a strong sense of smell. I'm curious if Liz or Stephanie have any feedback on this idea that sharks can tell if there's, I mean, obviously they, they target animals that are injured or sick because, you know, we've already heard that, but is that a, is that a thing? Do you guys know? Um, well, I was reading this cause I just got it sent to me today. The, what the executive summary, I guess, of this work at Harvard. And it sounds like that's what they're kind of studying at Harvard. Um, they're using genetic profiling, electrophysiological and expression cloning methods to probe cellular signaling cascades and their contribution to cellular electrical tuning. Well, that's so clear now. I, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we asked. Thanks, Stephanie. That so, so much. So I'm studying it. You know, I think there's so much we don't know about sharks. That's where I get so jazzed about OSERT. This is a previously unattainable animal that we've now brought to scientists, right? So I think we're mm-hmm. starting to learn a lot of that stuff and a lot of these, this misinformation or previous thoughts will get proven right or wrong through science. It is so important if you think about how how much the animals swim and they go from, I, I mean, I don't know, I, I know more about turtles than sharks, but they swim a long distance. And so it is important to know about their behavior and, and where where they have babies, where they reproduce, where they raise babies, because those areas especially need to be protected. So all of that information is really vital. Yeah. I think the most interesting thing that I've heard is, you know, here I'm, I'm just picturing this um, crazy, crazed creature, but you talk about them having a preference for being on the surface or under the surface. I've, I don't know that I've ever thought about them as creatures with with a, a personality and preferences other than eating my toes. So I think that was a really, that was a really interesting thing to think about. It's, I, if, if there's anything that I've heard tonight that really struck a chord with me, I think. And to expand on that, particularly great white sharks, they hunt in the top five meter zone. So if you get it, this is why if you're doing shark diving, you get in and you get down quickly to be out of that zone. So you're not 
seen to be to misinterpret it as being a seal or a, um, a bird or something. So that's one part of it. Yeah, and, and also I think now you've just uh, confirmed my fears. But uh, but thanks, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to do the opposite with that. I mean, I've rolled, rolled into the boat doing black tip shark dives in South Africa. Like you're actually on the boat and, and the, the, there's lots of sharks circling because there's this element of conditioning because they know about the baited dives. And again, this is a, you know, a controversy of whether you should be doing that. Um, but you just roll in and get down there and it's, and it's absolutely fine because you're not in their hunting zone. You're below. I mean, they do say if you're ever to um, be faced with a shark that comes towards you, what you need to do is go towards it. Because what do most creatures do in the ocean? You, you, you know, as us, your instinct would be to swim away. Um, but that's where you're showing them the fins that they want to come after. So if you turn towards it and kind of go, um, it would theoretically be scared of you. I mean, this is one of the tips we give to the students when we're, we're telling them how to deal with a shark. <laughs> but Boop their nose, don't... Sarah. <laughs> That's the other one, isn't it? Yeah, because of the sensory receptors. We talked about the, the fear. I don't believe it's the fear, but it's heart rates. You know, hammerheads can detect them, the heart rate of a ray that's underneath sand that's, you know, a few meters away from it. So it's, you know, the, the electromagnetic um, sensory re receptors that it that it's feeling. So I'm sure, from a human perspective, that that's what it can can sense. Make it, maybe it's more curious to come towards. All right, so I'll take a beta blocker before I go out there. Bring my heart rate down. <laughs> Do lots of meditation. When I went out with Florida shark diving, and we were going to get in, trying to get in with the hammer, they gave us really long fins and. Um, one of the people in our group was like, I don't want to wear fins. And they're like, no, you want to look as big as possible. We want you to wear these gloves because the white on your hands is going to look like fish because they were feeding out fish. So you want to look as big as possible. They told you to keep eye contact. They, when they see you in the water, they think you're just as big as them. You're another predator. So they're like, keep eye contact, don't splash and you'll be just fine. Um, and we were talking about personalities that was one of the privileges of working at an aquarium all the fish had different personalities even our grouper I and mean, Jess can attest to that too it, the sharks absolutely you could tell which ones liked certain people and they like <laughs> certain types of food I mean the animals are a lot zebra. smarter oh my gosh the zebra shark I love diving with the zebra shark There's a, yes but sharks are a lot smarter than people give them credit for so. And wow. also, they just go in with the nurse sharks, Sara. They're just sleepy and dopey. <laughs> <laughs> they they're awesome. That, All right, maybe someday. <laughs> well, for the first time ever, we're going to throw out a challenge of the month to our listeners instead of a challenge of the week. So, in that same spirit, we want to challenge all of our listeners to take a to, to learn more about sharks. And so, we found a couple of classes. There's the edX.org free class on sharks and shark guardian is off also going to be, they have a class that they're going to be launching soon, I think this, um, week. this week. So you could choose one of those. And then we're going to come back on a Facebook live 
on August 18th at 7 p.m. to test your shark knowledge. And it's going to be our first ever trivia night. And we will be giving out prizes. So you've got that to look forward to. Thank you so much, Liz and Stephanie, for your time tonight. I feel like I learned a lot about your organizations and about some shark conservation efforts. And I hope the rest of the sirens did too. We're looking forward to hopefully having you guys back again. And thank you to Megan for joining us tonight as a guest siren for the first time ever. So glad to have you. And our other sirens for tonight were Sarah, Jess, Elsie, TC, and me. I'm Mer. And until next time, dive in, stay curious, be happy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Siren Soapbox. And a special thank you to C-Strings for providing our music. Snag your latest EP from iTunes today. Follow the Sirens on all the social medias and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Siren Soapbox.